So number one rule with Paul. Gotta break out of the EU, leave those people there behind. Searching for adventure, type of life we'll find. Tired of paying our money with no thanks. So when we do, we're gonna I'm sure we're gonna find something and we're gonna find out who we're leaving the EU and we're leaving today. We're leaving the EU in every way. We're gonna be huge. We're going to be bigger in every way. Back to our greatness. It's Brexit Day today. Yeah, it up, by the way, doesn't it? Yay, hey, hey. I, d- I just wanted to add something in musical, but I'm not very... Welcome to the CBGS podcast, and it's another fine Friday morning here in Aspen Waite Towers, and Paul Waite is uh, joining me with a, a cup of tea ready to go. Two cups of tea. Two cups of tea. It's like a tra- is that a, is that a um, is that a tradition? Is that something that's a good luck, or you just like to have two? cups no, I had of a tea? large glass of whiskey last night, so I need <laughs> two cups of tea. Is that a, is that a Thursday tradition? It whiskey? is actually Welsh whiskey as well. It's a good day to. I know a few people that Thursdays is a good day. Penderin Welsh whiskey called Catch a Try or something it was called. We go whiskey recommendations on the podcast this week. I must interrupt you there, sir. It's no ordinary Friday, is it? No, it's a very special Friday. Very, very special historic day. It's Aspen Waits year end. (laughs) (laughs) You didn't think I was going to say that, did you? Well, I was going to say it's the transfer window day, but that's not why we're here. But it is a, it is a... Oh, interestingly, you know, I said that I met a guy yesterday, a fascinating guy. He'd actually heard of Back of the Net. Had he? Yeah, it's a programme. Brilliant, that's really good. Yeah, so that was good, wasn't it? Back of the Net is at a football show specialising in non-league football. And do look the, it up. The Ben Runs. Mm. Yeah, so today is Brexit Day, so it's a historic day, 49 years in the European Union, after no mandate to do it, basically the... Ted Heath government lied its way into us joining it, I think is probably a way of putting it. So the British people just thought uh, it was a non, n- a no big deal thing, I think. You know, I, I was only 10, 11 at the time. So I think the way it was put to, to people was, you know, it was almost like, well, why wouldn't you join the EU? Because, of course, in those days, it wasn't called the EU. There were only something like 11 members. And it was more to do with people working together to mutual benefit, which I think everyone would think was a good idea. And of course, you know, without getting political about it, the reason why a lot of people don't want to be in the EU anymore, both, not just in the, in the UK either, I would, I would uh, encourage our listeners to watch Ed Ball's fascinating series, which started last week, and the second episode was out yesterday, where he's, he's travelling around Europe. So he did Holland, he's done Holland, Poland, Germany and Spain so far and he's basically looking to see why the far right and nationalism are massively on the up in all countries and this is everything like um in spain people wanting to preserve their traditions like bullfighting flamenco dancing in poland it's to do with defending the mines because the eu don't like coal mining so the poles feel very much like the eu are trying to stop them doing you know what they need to do because Let's be honest, the EU's run basically to, to please the Germans. You know, that, what well, is, you know, it is, you know, everything that's done. So the Germans want to do a, a model based on wind, 
and you know and, and, and turbines then that's what everyone else has to do you know and the fact that Poland might have you know several thousand tons of coal in Silesia and they've got 90,000 miners which is true and that coal production is massively what powers Poland's energy so anyway so the Ed Balls is and, and, and actually it's quite interesting for a former Labour politician his views are amazingly well balanced so he he He's, he doesn't sit there getting all histrionic and going... So, for instance, the Holland, the Holland one was fascinating. There's, a, there's a, a Christmas tradition where Santa, or St. Nicholas in, in Holland, has all... <laughs> I'm laughing because it's so, it's so politically incorrect, and, and I'm, I'm sort of staggered that the Dutch are, are more politically incorrect than I am. Um, but they, they have this tradition of what they call Black Pete. So Santa has all these helpers, and they're all black, but they're white people, blacked up, you know? And, of course, half of the Dutch people are saying this is terrible, <laughs> this is racist, and it's got to stop. So you've got... This, this, I think this is the theme that's going on across the world at the moment. You've got... This would be true in America. So you look at America, you've got uh, Trump being impeached on the basis of the Democrats controlling... I can't remember, is it the Senate? And then, of course, it's now gone up to the next stage where almost certainly he will get off because the Republicans have got a majority in that House. So... I think you've got pretty much a 50-50 split. For instance, Brexit, non-Brexit. People want to stay in Scotland, don't want to be in you know, Scotland, staying in the, in the UK. Democrats, Republicans. So the world's become a very polarised place, which is sad, really. Because I always think, you know, so, 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 I'm not rambling on. Another, another, another programme you really must watch is, is a l- wonderful new series called Star Trek Picard which first episode came out last Friday. So those of you who love Star Trek, you'll know that probably Patrick Stewart as Picard was almost certainly the finest captain, I think, of, of, of Star Trek Enterprise in history. Just a wonderful um, character. And they've brought, brought, brought him back as a very... So it's probably about 80 years old. And it's an absolutely fantastic, fantastic first thing. I really, really enjoyed the, 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 the first episode last week. And the point is, is if you actually... So I actually really like the idea of a federation, which is at somewhat odds with me being a Brexiteer. But I don't think it is, actually. So I think that... I think there's a big difference between... So obviously, I, you know, I'm, I like to think I'm the best collaborator in the country. So I'm hugely into collaboration and community, but not at the expense of loss of independence. That's probably how I would put yeah. it. I, I have... Just before I've got a question for you, but just before that, in my mind, all I can think now is the EU summit, and everybody sat round, and you're there, and you just sat down, <laughs> and the guys there, you know, order, and John Burko's not there, and you stand up and say, well, the only reason we're here is to please the Germans. <laughs> but anyway, I digress. I, I think it's a really, it's a really important day. I, I'm, I don't think any of us were sure that we'd ever get to this day, and certainly, mm. it's, it's, it's not quite. Brexit as I think people will expect it to be because obviously there's a long period now of trade negotiations and, and, mm-hmm. and different things going on. But what does that mean? We talked about this briefly back in October. But what does it mean today for businesses? Well, yesterday, interestingly, the MPC met and they, they, they on a split decision, left interest rates frozen at uh, three quarters of a percent. I probably would expect, as, as discussed in my excellent debate on this with Drew, which was posted onto YouTube this week, I believe, I would expect uh, interest rates to fall to half a percent. 
uh, you know, in, the, in the near future. And I think it got very, very close to that happening yesterday. I think, and I'm surprised to be able to say this. So I had my own website during the before the web, the the um, referendum, and it was a very patriotic. I'd say it was a very patriotic and unusually well balanced website because I was probably about the only person who actually told the truth. So as an economist, I actually said it would be reasonable to assume that Britain will have lower economic growth for a period against what it would have had if it stayed in the EU. I still think that's probably true. What's interesting now is I, I remember talking to one of my best clients at 7.30, the, the day after, miraculously, Brexit won. And I think we were all shocked, even the people that voted to leave. I think no one really actually thought that 52% of people would actually do that. And both of us had, had voted to leave, and the conversation was sort of like, do you think we've done the right thing? I'm not sure, are you? You know? Yeah. And, and, and yeah, and I think there was considerable uncertainty in both our minds, which, which has remained until a couple of weeks ago, to be honest with you. So I think my honest opinion was that probably, if anything, you know, the, 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 the country would shrink by 2 or 3% compared to what it would have done. But I find myself, and now obviously with, with outside external corroborative evidence to support this as well, I find myself on this Friday feeling extraordinarily buoyant and excited about Britain's future, actually. And it's very interesting that the IMF last week actually predicted in the post-Brexit scenario that we were going to grow faster than Germany, France and Italy in the next year, which I thought was was, was fascinating. And I think what we're starting to see now is a, a, a complete reversal of attitude, certainly from the EU, I think they're starting to get scared now about what what this competitive Britain is going to be like, you know, in, in a couple of years' time. And of course, a lot of it will depend on what... You know, I think I sent an email out to the, the marketing team yesterday. You know, I'm a great believer that life's about being given chances and opportunities. And actually, what marks the great person or whatever, or in this case, a great country, would be how you how you exploit and react to those opportunities. So I think if we can, if we can uh, take our logical place as, U- as the US's you know, biggest partner, but not in a sense that the Corbyn, the Corbynistas are always going on about us, you know, us being like a Trump satellite. And in particular, I think um, really, really cherish and revive the Commonwealth. You know, and when you think of all the great countries in the Commonwealth, Canada, New Zealand, Australia, India, Pakistan... You know, I think, it's, I think the Commonwealth has something like one quarter, one third of all the people in the world in it, you know, and yeah. we are, the Queen is the head of the Commonwealth. So, you know, I think it's, a, it's an incredibly exciting opportunity. So if you're, a, if you're a business owner today, which obviously you are, what you should be celebrating the fact that we're into this new era. What, what, what are the things, let's say the top three things as a business owner that you um, should be feeling great about today and want to start the day with a song. As far as, far as Brexit and the fact that we're leaving the EU as a business owner. Yeah, not, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sure if I could do the three. I think the thing, the thing that comes to mind, you know, um, as we've discussed in previous episodes, actually, is, you know, one has to be realistic. There are businesses today who have good reason not to be happy. Of course. And I don't think one should belittle that. I think it's a fact, you know. You know, I'm, I'm, I think 
in life one has to be a realist you know there are winners and losers that's why for instance like why i called my second book winning 2-1 because nobody wins 2-0 unless you're liverpool perhaps but you know, <laughs> um, you know life is not about winning 2-0 it's a, it's it's a, it's a it's a balance of victories and some reversals going along you know so i think there will be business owners today who have, who for instance you know are in in sectors where for instance, you know, they're, they're, so their, their biggest markets are one of the EU countries, all the EU countries, and, and it's going to be scary for them, isn't it? Because they don't, no one really knows. That's the thing, you know, what gets me, you get all these pundits and the BBC in particular, you know, slagging off Brexit, but no one, no one really knows what the future holds. And, and to some extent, that makes it exciting. I think as a, as a good businessman, I think it's always sensible to be cautious and prudent. So, I would still err on the side of in the short term, you know, contraction. But one can overcome that by obviously being a bit bolder, for instance, you know. That's why I think probably the high-speed rail network is very important. And although, you know, £90 billion, pounds, whatever it's going to be, you know, sounds like a lot of money, I think in 10 years' time that will look like it was a very good thing to do. So I think, I think it's a time for all businesses to take stock I'm a great believer in planning, as you know. So I think people should should sit down today and really think. Well, they should have done this already, really. But you know, really think about what the future holds for them. You know, how they are affected by by Brexit. And and I think if if, for instance, you're one of those businesses that is is probably going to be negatively affected by it, then re, re, be be positive about it. You know, look at new products, new markets. You know, why can't you sell to India or South Africa? You know, why do you have to sell to to France? You know, I think I think again we were talking about this earlier, Ben, weren't we? You know, nobody nobody can be great on their own. So one of the things I would encourage people to do is 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 to is to seek the advice of others, and or make sure you have a have a great advisor. You know, because it's very important to have a cohesive strategy in in uncertain times. I think what's 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 interesting is, I think the scenario, the doomsday scenario, I think has been removed now. So I think actually for for most people, and that's why, you know, I, I probably you know we, we, people think differently. I I think uh, for the most part, if I had to sum up what I think is going to happen, I'd say business as usual. I don't think you're going to have yeah. lots of stories about riots in Peckingham and you know people lobbing baguettes across the road because they're starving or anything. You know, I think it's it's going to be quite uneventful actually. That was a really important point that you made as well, which was. There's been, there was, whatever way you looked at it and whichever side that you were on, and it was obviously a very close thing. We knew that from when, when the vote was. But there was, there was so much propaganda almost there was, from, it, from both sides about what it would be like and if we were in, if we were out, and what you should do, and all across social media, and this huge exploding debate that happened all the way until the point, really, when the general election happened. And then it just went. And obviously it was Christmas, so it was a nice time. People do go away and and reflect on other things and we've come come into the new year and now we're at the the day of brexit and i think there is that um acceptance from both sides yeah, yeah. that we it's done it's gone and now uh, you you mentioned the, the sort of nobody knows what's going to happen but that can be quite exciting and actually for a business owner we didn't quite get three but the, probably the first one was the most important which is anything can happen be positive it's it's, a, it's almost like a if you, if you are and you said it then if you have got a business that potentially is going to be slightly negatively affected by brexit it's happened it's now a chance for you to reinvent yourself 
Yeah, as I say, I mean, you know, obviously you asked me for three and I couldn't really think of three easy pat answers, you know. You know, given a bit more time to sit down, I mean, I may be able to, but I don't think, as I say, I don't think it's 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 a day where it's 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 going to change things. So, I say for most people, I think it's going to be business as, as normal. So, you know, I think I think what business people should be doing today, for the most part, most people would be doing nothing. Yeah. Take us. Right? Aspen Waits' strategy is entirely unaffected. Entirely unaffected. Yeah. If anything, I would say, as, as, as a business that doesn't um, rely on trade with the EU, I'm, I'm excited about uh, the opportunities that lie, you know, in new markets. So for us, I see it probably as a, a bit of a no-lose but as, as I said, that is not true of all businesses. One has to recognise that. So the answer to your question depends on who you are and what business you are, probably where you are, you know, all sorts of things, you know. It was funny, this morning we walked in to, as we always do, we kind of meet in the car park <laughs> at eight o'clock in the morning. And uh, it sounds sinister, that, but it's not. But and we, just, we, just, we just said hello, and we actually both said that we just had excellent weeks. And that was just, you know, and you, you could tell... a truly great week. Truly, a truly great week this That's week. said, yeah. And I think that that is probably the most important thing today. So if there's any apprehension, if there's anybody that perhaps is thinking, well, I'm not sure what's going to happen. Oh, I know one. I'll give you a third one then. Okay. Be positive. Be positive. Yeah, see, to me, it's interesting. People often ask me questions um, and expect me to answer them in the way that they do. And, of course, one of the things is we're all very different. So I often say to people, well, I can't answer the question like that because my brain doesn't think that way. So to me, for instance... I am a naturally a bullion. So people say to me, you don't know what no means, do you? You know? So I, to some extent, I find it difficult to relate to these people who think that Armageddon has happened today. Because to me, it's a case of, well, okay, you know. So if I was going for a cross-country run and I wanted to win, and I fell over and got wet, I'd pick myself up and I'd carry on running. And I wouldn't have wanted to have fallen over, but it doesn't mean to say I'm going to give up trying to win. Does that make sense? Yeah. You know, it's all about attitudes, isn't yeah, it? Yes, attitudes, exactly. So be positive. I think that's, a, that's, a, that's, a, that's a probably a really good one. And I think it's time as well for us to, for, the, for the, those that are positive, about celebrating the things that are great about this country. And I know that's something that you're very passionate about. We've talked mm. about it before on the podcast. But it feels very much today, if you, if you are, and I'm sure you are aware of the date and, the, and Brexit, that mm. it, is, it is a time to start singing songs and being celebrating those things that are good about our country. And why shouldn't you do that? We don't do that enough. Once more into the breach. There we go. Exactly. So uh, we've talked about the effect that it would, it could possibly have and how business owners would feel this morning. When we look at five years time, what from, from Aspen Wake's point of view, we know that we're not really affected by Brexit, but does that give you? Does it today give you any more thought, thoughts on perhaps opportunities that exist because we're no longer in the EU? Well, as I was saying earlier, I think um, what Britain needs to do now is to change the way it, it's done business. So it, it, it has underperformed in the growing nations, you know, like Brazil. India, China, Indonesia, these sort of places. And that's very disappointing because logic tells me that, you know, if you think about 
who should be India's logical main partner? I think we should be. You know, after all, they were they were part of Britain until 1949. Yeah. Here's a good good one for you. The first Commonwealth country to become a republic in 1949 was India. Well, yeah. So uh, sorry, that was 1950, January the 20th, 20, January the 20th, 1950. I think is the correct answer. Wow. So the first country in the Commonwealth that became a republic. That's a that's a good one for your for your friends. And the answer is India. So. Um, a bit of history on this podcast. That's what we yeah. like. Yeah, so, yeah, I think, you know, we've got, we've got this huge world, you know, of many billions of people, was it seven or eight or whatever it is, and, uh, you know, we've hardly touched the surface. Britain has a unique, I'd say, to some extent, uh, tradition of being a very sort of, you know, uh, bold, seafaring people, I think it does us great credit that our national dish has become chicken tikka masala. <laughs> no, I mean that sincerely. I think I, I think that tells you a lot about Brits. I think that one of the things I think is, you know, if you take the story about Alistair Stewart this week, without getting too heavy about this, you know, familiar with that one? Alistair Stewart being forced off ITV because of a so-called racist tweet he put on Twitter this week. I didn't see that, no. Uh, he quoted a passage from Shakespeare, which he had quoted before, and the passage referred to something like a raging ape. So, uh, and the guy was black. So the guy basically said, you know, you've just been racist because your reference to ape is clearly a, an insult on black people. And I think most reasonable people would say, well, Shakespeare certainly didn't write that thinking about black people because he would have had no contact with black people. I think it's almost certain that the, 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 the reference to raging ape was probably more to do with anger or, you know, what, 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 what the characteristics of a raging ape would be yeah. and, re- and relating them to... So I think he's probably saying, you know, I don't know, because I haven't read the Twitter trail, but probably saying to this guy, you know, you're, you're losing the plot here, mate, you know? Yeah. So the raging ape would have been more probably talking about his reasoning and mental state than... But nonetheless, and this is the sad thing about the world we live in, this guy complained, and uh, I think it's very. See, loyalty, I think, is a is a is a is a word that should be should be very strong on anyone's list. And I think the fact that that ITN or whoever it is that employ him disowned him after what, what thirty years or more of service is in- incredibly disappointing. Yeah, that is. I didn't see that story this week, but certainly, uh, I think that it's. We are in a little bit of a time, and to, to digress from the. Um, the topic today, which is celebrating everything that's great about Britain. So this probably doesn't belong on this podcast, but we are in that time where I think if there was one thing that I would like to move away from um, having a fresh start today and thinking Mm -hmm. positively, it would be this, we, we seem to have got to a place where not just political correctness. I meet a lot of people that say political correctness is good. And it is, but we've reached a point where it's gone beyond, it's ridiculous now. You, You can't say anything about anybody or anything, you, you, it's, we're just at a place where everybody well, finds fault with things. That's not entirely true, is it? You can say things about English people. Well, yeah, you if can. If you're white, middle class or upper class, it seems to me that people can say whatever they want. People, to some extent, can say whatever they want about Jewish people. I was thinking about... So we take the, the current the crisis in China, OK? And actually, one of our own... So this would be Darren Horn is actually in quarantine at the moment. Just for, just for reference. Is he? Yeah, 14-day quarantine. Now, 
what, what I find is interesting about China, and you look at uh, its annexation of so something I feel very passionately about as probably the religion I most admire in the world is Buddhism, right? Which is no secret if you walk into my room. I've got a huge. I, I'm really into peace and love and and all that. And one of the reasons I love to go to Thailand was, you know, to, to to go into the temples. I just love everything about it. To be honest with you, and it just it just strikes me that. Like China, so for instance, you know the Dalai Lama. It's actually an offence for someone to meet him or to be friendly to him. The Chinese don't like that, right? And 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 when when did you last read and in, in any or hear anything about anyone in any way criticising China for annexing Tibet and the Dalai Lama not being allowed to live in his own country? Answer is you don't do. You? So you look at the hypocrisy in the world, which is massive. So you've got situations where yesterday, for instance, a three-month-old baby wasn't allowed on a plane because uh, the baby didn't have because the baby had a Chinese passport. British British mother said the Chinese wouldn't let the mother go on the plane with a three-month. I mean that, that is just heartless and cruel beyond belief. And the, my point is, if that had been Israel that had done that, yeah. <laughs> right? You'd have Ash Sarker, Rachel Shabby, you know, people like that, Owen Jones. They've been, they've been all over, all over the media immediately. The BBC would have led on it. You know, Israel doesn't let baby on plane. You know, outrage. No, tell me I'm wrong. You're not wrong. <laughs> you know, um, and it's just, it's just, it's just staggering. I think. So on this day of new starts today, we need. There's a few things that we need to. It's a bit like Room 101, isn't it? We need to get rid of a few things, and I think this political correctness we mentioned last week. We're in the age of the argument, the, the age of the the review, the age of people that have to get on social media or have to complain. The age of the complaint. I think we did the age of the review last week. <laughs> we're at the age of the complaint. Let's put that in the bin. Let's put that in the Room 101. And um, there's a room actually where we. Uh, record the podcast and there's a it's sort of like a magical door on the far side which i think adjoins the next building yeah. it's not in use it's it's a almost like a fake door it's not quite narnia on the other <laughs> side but that's the room we put everything in i think we just we just we, is there anything else that you'd like to put in that room no i think well i don't, I don't know i think one of the, one of the things i was going to say actually is it just occurred to me going back to what we were talking about earlier is i think the reason why I have this excitement and optimism wasn't there until recently is because of the election result. And I think actually what I think happened there was to some extent we as a nation self-regulated. So I think what I would say, if you were writing a book or, or saying what was the true message about the 2019 general election, I would say it was the election where the silent majority stood up and finally was counted People turned around and said, "No, we don't want um, we don't want a leader who is not patriotic. We don't want a leader that America, for instance, is frightened to give us to share intelligence surveillance with us. We don't want people that that, that don't believe in wealth. We don't believe in people. We don't want to elect a government that is anti-capitalist. You know, we don't want a government that thinks it's okay to go back on promises. And I think that's I think that was." I, I, I actually found myself rejuvenated in my love of the country and my faith in my fellow Brits, actually. Quite a lot, actually. I remember, I went to, I remember the podcast on the Friday of the election result feeling so happy, is the only word I can use. And I think that, that optimism... I mean, it was interesting. 
Ed Balls was on um, Good Morning Britain yesterday. You know, it's not only is he doing this very fine uh, series where he's heading all, trampling all over Europe, talking to people about why they're voting for far right parties. He was on, uh, and again, you know, bearing in mind that he was one of Tony Blair's most, you know, important ministers. And I think, you know, to hear him talking now, you'd almost think he was a Tory. I think he would be perfectly at home in Boris's cabinet, for instance. You know, and he was saying, not in Boris's cabinet at, at Boris's house. Not like a little. Well, not in your little, not in your little cupboard or wherever it was, where we're putting everything in. But I think you know, to, to hear him talking, you know, this is the point. You know, he was saying that he thinks, you know, he said, let's, let's be let's be clear about this. He said, you know, this government is probably going to be here for a very long time. Uh, it would be on the, on the basis of all reasonable historic trends and probability. There's almost certainly going to be a Tory government for the next ten years. So that's one of my predictions. Okay, I would, I would say it would be, the chances of that not being the case would be less than one in ten. That would be my yeah. professional observation. I'm very excited about that because if you take my worst fear, for instance, I've worked all my life to to create a legacy. I would say, even as a very young man when I started, my focus has always been on creating capital not on wealth, uh, not on income. So I've never, even now, so I don't get paid anything like what I could get paid, you know, based on, on on what I generate. And so having done that for 26 years and five months, uh, and to have them, and I, I, was, I was seriously worried, to be honest with you, you know, it would be wrong, I'd say 30% at least of me was very worried of, of the impact of the Corbyn government. You know, we, we, we probably might have seen the abolition of R&D tax credits, what that, that might have meant we wouldn't have been able to carry on trading. Uh, but most importantly, I think even that is entrepreneurs' relief would have been abolished. And my whole 26 years of working would have gone in one second. And then suddenly that whole model would have disintegrated. And I, and I probably would have seriously had to think about leaving the country. So the relief of that not being the case and actually... Uh, a Paul-friendly government, you know, I, I, I sit there now and I have every expectation of retiring, in, in whatever sense Paul Waite understands that word, um, under a Tory administration, which is, which is incredibly important because it means that I have reasonable certainty that I'm going to exit in the manner I always thought I could, which makes me very buoyant and optimistic. And I think, actually, that optimism is not just with me. I don't know whether you think. I think it's, it's, actually, it's actually spread across the country. I think there is a newfound patriotism, optimism, belief. That's not, obviously, we've got against that, let's be honest, there's 35% of the people are completely the opposite to that. You know, they, they really do think that today is uh, the day we descend into hell and you know, people like me are a mor- moronic, stupid, un- you know, ignorant, unintelligent, probably racist, right-wing idiots, you know. Fascists, probably a word as well. You know, because so anyone that doesn't agree with a socialist is a fascist now. That's, that's, a, that's another thing we need to put in the room. Yes, that's, that's one, yes. Paul's thing to put in the room. Yeah, I, th- I think, you know, I, I, I've, I've got a, a friend called Roger Philpot. So uh, if you ever do listen to this, Roger, hello, hope you're well. Roger is a very... So I've, I've known Roger since I was four years old. His father ran me over, actually, so I've got a huge hole in my leg where his father hit me when I was four, so I could have been killed easily. Sounds very sinister. 
well, one sinister, it hurt, it hurt a lot because the car hit me when I was four years old and it hit me. I went about 20 feet up in the air and had a 48 stitches in my leg and couldn't go to school for six months. So anyway, uh, that's a story for another day. Roger, um, so I don't know what he does now, but he became a, a social worker and um, extremely left-wing, right? But the point of it was, Roger and I would sit over a glass of wine and we would have a great banter. I don't recall us ever getting angry with each other. You've got Weighty Boy, epitome of market economy, laissez fair capitalism, wealth creation. Roger Philpott, left wing socialist, <laughs> near Marxist. But there was a lot of mutual respect, and that's what's gone out of politics, I think. Yeah, I, 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 think, I think you're right. And I think just on that as well, there's, a, there's acceptance from many. Even if it wasn't what they particularly wanted, I think there's a lot of people now when we we talk about looking forward and um, a much more clearer uh, way of thinking because we're out of that period of debate. I think a lot of people there's acceptance now. Well, okay, well I actually voted to remain, but we we're, we're leaving. We're leaving. It's done. The decision's made. Probably relief as well from a lot of people that um, yeah. you know when you, you have a, a problem and it's even those that perhaps weren't getting involved in the debate we're constantly seeing the debate and it, and it causes stress. So there's a lot of relief, I think, now that actually decisions have been made. We talked about this at, uh, before Christmas, about the process of making decisions and giving yourself in business, for example, I remember you told a story of <laughs> the time that you get, you know, you give yourself the 10 minutes and, to, and you've got to have made a decision because otherwise... 10 seconds. 10 seconds, because you could, sp- you could think about it all day. And I think there is a relief and acceptance in many that perhaps didn't agree with it or didn't vote for it but the fact that we've now made that decision and that's what today is all about. Looking forward, a fresh start, and actually the decision's been made and we are leaving the EU. Yeah, one of my... So one of... I think it's actually... One of the things I'm quite proud about is there are several sayings which I think are unique to me and I think they're building up into quite a fine collection. And one of my sayings is the seventh best decision is better than no decision. Okay? And I think, I think you're absolutely right. I think... The vast majority of people, and I probably would go 75% possibly, view today more with a case of relief or, you know, whether, whether we should or we shouldn't be leaving on intellectual grounds, the people voted to leave, that is the right thing to do. And I think that is the number one thought in most people's minds, actually. And I think then if you actually apply that, if you think about it sensibly, you know, one thing I can tell you as someone who is a good economist, you know, as well. So not just an average one, I think. You know, I do understand how the markets operate. And number one thing that markets do not like, business do not like anything, just think about it, is, is uncertainty. How can you possibly be excited if you live in a land of uncertainty? You can't plan properly, so on and so forth. So the fact is, I think the reason why I view people like Burko, you know, to some extent the SNP... Uh, people like, you know, Sarah Wollaston and uh, Anna Subri, these sort of people, with such negativity, let's leave it at that, is because whether they believed in what they were saying or not, and I have to believe they did, they they basically created this, this not only an undemocratic situation, but they created this rampant uncertainty, which everyone hated, incredibly unsettling, made it impossible for anyone to make any decisions. And I think, if nothing else, what's happened now, it's been done. The markets have been able to... The markets are now able to 
to predict with some certainty. And I think one thing, you know, if you were looking at a, a barometer for the future, of course, the markets, the markets are things like the exchange rate, stock stock exchange, etc. Those 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 prices, etc., are based on what the market expects to happen for the foreseeable future, not what's happened now or what happened last week. So I think you know we're, we we've seen that on the whole, sterling rise since since the Tories won the December election. And I think that the most important, I think, so I think overall, I would say on balance, if you said to me, I think that the the positive impact of certainty is greater than the negative impact of leaving the EU. Yeah. That would be my... I think that's a, a good way of looking at it. So at the end of this discussion, that is a, that sums up where we're at. And I think you're right when you say 75% roughly would be that relief and looking at it in that we're starting afresh today if you needed anything else to perhaps I don't want to say the word persuade you but to, to really hit home the fact that we're on a, a fresh start I just wanted to perhaps talk about a few things that and we called this podcast making um, Britain great you know celebrating the things that are great about Britain and I just wanted to talk about a couple of things that perhaps were you know, maybe you need it this morning. Maybe you just need to see clearly a few things that remind you of our country. I want to say to you, Paul, fish and chips. I want well, to say... I've got a couple of questions for you in a minute, if you don't mind. Okay, yeah, well, you, and I look forward to them. I want to say to you, <laughs> the, the full English breakfast, the countryside, the country pubs, the seaside, afternoon tea, Shakespeare, Buckingham Palace, Big Ben. Just a few, a few thoughts on the, on the podcast. Sarcasm. I think we're, I think we, we're, we're good at that. Or irony, perhaps. Yeah, irony as well. Digestive biscuits, you know, the, all these things that make our country cheddar gorge. That, that's that's quite relevant Tea. to where we are. Tea, yes. Tea is defining. Uh, a firm handshake. Talking about the weather. Queuing. Queuing. Yeah, we we love a queue, don't Cueing, we? Queuing, talking about the weather. Yeah, and and moaning. And Ant and Deck. That's it. That's probably enough for, for, for a Friday. For it's interesting because I was actually going to ask you, so you preempted me, I was actually going to ask you what you thought defined Britishness. Do you think there is such a thing as Britishness? Is it, is it unique? And if so, what it was? But you've done quite a good job of that, haven't you? I think, yeah, I think that, that list probably, you know, there is another word for it, and I'm trying to think of that right now, but that, that we are uh, traditionalists, I think. We, we have... We have certain things that we we find happiness in. Uh, I think we're quite simple in, in some respects. But we've got a lot of history. We've got a lot of things that always fascinated me, just on your question, of how other countries viewed us. I think, because I think, you know, especially to, to end this podcast today, I think it, we ought to be very uplifting. I think, personally, and, I, and, I, and I, you know, I'm not saying this just because I'm a jingoistic idiot, I, I think Britain is the greatest country in the world with the greatest history. Uh, and I think that probably one of the things that we have, which is why the, the silent majority doesn't like to hear us being run down all the time by Corbyn, because he does, you know, let's face it, you know, that, that, that sort of, that, the, the Marxist side don't, don't celebrate our history. They don't see the Britishness, you know, like we do. I think that, on the whole, as a country, we probably have the greatest amount of self-respect of any country in the world. Yeah, I think you be. could be right there. I think, and I think we, we, 
Now, let's be honest. If, if you, just, you just look at this, right? On the whole, if I said to you, over a thousand years, right? Britain's war, Britain's record in battles. Would you say, on the whole, we win or we lose? We win. Now, the fact is, there's no doubt, right? Just to be qualified on this, Germany, as a standalone country, was the most powerful country in the world. And if Britain had had to fight Germany on fair terms, just two nations, we would have lost. Fact. Fortunately for us, that isn't the case. Nonetheless, if you actually look at this, who lost two world wars? Germany. Germany did. Not only that, and there was a big thing in this, they also, the Germans, I think, have the, the very real legacy of the, the consequences of their actions. So Britain's, Britain's, Britain's finest were killed in the First World War. The cream of the crop definitely were killed, extinguished, between 1914 and 1918. A whole race was practically exterminated in the Second World War, so one of the things we should also remember this week is Holocaust Memorial Day, which was on Monday. I'm very proud to say that my, my son was one of the main leaders of the Bristol Memorial Celebration. So good on you, Samuel. So I think, you know, if you contrast how in your heart, you know, going back to the, the self-respect, how a Brit feels against, to some extent, the Germans have got the shame, haven't they? I don't mean to be to get too horrible at this, but do you not agree with that? There's an element of shame, yeah. isn't there? And it was, it was interesting as well. I was also going to ask you what you would consider to be defining moments in British history. I was quite interested to hear... That's what a great question, that is. Yeah, that's a really... I know uh, what I think. I, I gave a lot of thought to this. So you tell me anything at all that comes into your mind. It doesn't matter if it's right or wrong. What I tend to do is people ask me questions and things plop into my brain. And I don't worry too much about why it has. You might even say winning the World Cup in 1966. That's what you wanted to say. It was it? the. Do you know that that was one of the things that came into to, to my to my head, and I think that's only because although that's England, of course, without being uh, yes disrespectful to our, our our Welsh and Scottish and Irish listeners. I think that's a it's a really interesting question. Defining moments in in British history when you when you talk about defining moments, people would. I think people would naturally um, think about the, the the world, the Second World War. I think people would think about the World Cup in '66. Hmm. I think, for me, obviously in, in the in the modern uh, era, the, the the Olympics, but they're positive things. And I think probably if I threw that question back at you, you you're, you're going to. I think you. I, I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but you'd give me a very different view. No, I'm going to give you a defining view, yeah. which you're going to go wow, and probably. I'm looking forward to this. Well, un- un- I think undoubtedly the answer has to be 1066. Yeah. So if you think about why that has to be the answer, you could actually, and I was thinking this, you could actually, you could go back before that and say, well, if you're going to put 1066 in, you would also have to acknowledge the, the Anglo-Saxon immigration between 400 and 600, where they effectively settled into, into mostly into England yeah. and became the dominant um, tribe, I suppose you'd have to call it, really. But the reason why... So I think, I think people will enjoy this, and Callum and I, when Aspen Wake Radio is born, are going to be doing some fascinating programmes about British history, defining battles, etc. And this is probably something that... I, I, one of the things, I'm an avid historian, and what I'm going to tell you now is many of you may not really have thought about this before or may not be fully aware of it. So if we look at life in England and really Britain, before 1066. 
So let's let's just let's, let's, let's I don't know whether they call England or Britain now, but let's just say England just to be just to be politically correct. England was a Anglo Norse society. Okay? Yeah. So it was it was a coming together of Anglo Saxons and people from Scandinavia. And that is very much seen in in my name, for instance. So if if you if you were to uh, drive around uh, Durham, the Durham area Northumberland, Cumberland, you see villages called Waite everywhere. Hundreds of the moment, bloody things. You know, Cumberwaite, Southwaite, all these sort of things, you know. Yeah. Dunholm, all sorts of Viking words, which we don't even realise. Most people don't even realise they're Viking words. Why was 1066 incredibly important? Because on the face of it, what happened is, is a minority group, let's, let's, be, let's be clear, and, and this wouldn't be able to happen today, but because of the lack of internet and telephones and things, a comparatively small force of Normans who were in themselves Vikings, right? So Normandy was founded by Duke Rollo, who was uh, himself a Viking, okay? So that's something to get important. So that's why it's called Normandy. Normandy is, is basically, uh, the, the Normans are Northmen. So I don't know if you realise that. No, I didn't. No, I'm learning today. Yeah, so Norman, Normandy, in its current form today, so William the Conqueror was himself really a Viking. He was a fourth-generation Viking, okay? And that's something that people don't necessarily... So what happened at Hastings was the Anglo-Norse incumbent society was effectively beaten by this Scando-French, if you like. And, and, and the thing as well, see, in, the, in those days, there wasn't the concept of French. They would probably would have said the best, they would have said Frankish, because there was no France. France was itself... Aquitaine, Anjou, you know, so on and so forth. Brittany, to name three. So it was a country with lots of different provinces. Uh, so what happened then is, effectively, the, the Normans, because they were a superb military outfit and very well, and also as testimony to the Saxons' fantastic government and legislature, which made it very easy for an invader to take over what was already in place. So we liked to, the, the analogy for today would be that we had the best IT in the world. <laughs> so when we get beaten, the country that comes in actually has already got the best IT in the world. So that would be my analogy of, of how the Normans found themselves victorious in 1066. The Normans spoke what would be largely regarded as French, but it wasn't you know, the French that we, we speak today. And effectively what then happened um, is the top part of society in England was displaced and was replaced by French. So if you then look at the impact of that on, on how we are today, all of the top table words are French words. Okay? Beef. Buff. Beef comes from buff. So all of the posh words, the, the top level words, have, have French meanings. And you find that the basic words which are obviously because of the peasants, are most words. So most of the words in English today are Anglo-Norse words. But they, the, 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 the more important words have been... The, the exception to that, funnily enough, is king, for instance. King comes from kinga, which is a, which is a old English, C-Y-N-G-E. So what, what, what effectively happened is two things. We ended up with a language, which was a marriage of Anglo-Saxon, so like Old English, Scandinavian, Norse, well, Norse, sorry, you should recall it, Old English, Norse, and French, okay? So we, that, 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 had, that had to take place for Old English to become the language that Shakespeare wrote in. 
More importantly than that, if, if uh, Harold had won at Hastings, Britain would have remained a slightly inward-looking Anglo-Norse country that tended to look that way, so tended to look north, probably north-northeast. What happened because of the French influence is we became... So, for instance, all the kings after that, right up until Mary I, all considered themselves also to be the rulers of France. I don't know if you know that. So when, when the kings were crowned in 1200, they were also crowned king of France. Did you know that? I didn't, no. I didn't know that. Yeah, so Henry, Henry III, king of England and France. That's, that's what they were crowned as. They, that's, why, that's why we had Battle of Crecy, Poitiers, Agincourt. These are all battles that took place because even in 1415, Henry V's greatest moment. So this is, this is now, if you think about this, this is 349 years after Hastings. We, as a nation, still believe we are the rulers of France. That only came about because of the Battle of Hastings. And, and so why Hastings is so important is it turned England... That, that, although I don't like it because I'm a very proud Saxon myself, Hastings had to happen for Britain to become the ambitious seafaring nation it became. And that's why, in my opinion, it is clearly the defining moment of British history. I love that I learned a lot of uh, new things in the last few minutes. And I'm really looking forward to the history programmes that you mentioned. And we, we have a little teaser to this every single week on the podcast. We have a radio station that is in production, state-of-the-art radio station, and some of the ideas and opinions um, that will be on there, the, idea, the, the shows, the music, everything that's going into this is going to be fantastic. And we will do a podcast on this shortly just looking at that but certainly it's a fascinating point I think it is I had a, I did a little google search whilst you were talking and yeah that comes up as the number one thing the ceiling of the Magna Carta as well well that created democracy why we have the mother of, mother of parliaments um, although as a Manxman I'm very proud to say that Isle of Man has the oldest parliament in the world did you know that I didn't know that's another yeah. thing that I've learned today Bold. Yeah, the, the, the Plague, War of the Roses, these other things, William Shakespeare, just a few things that are Guy Fawkes that are mentioned in the history of this great country that we're celebrating Spanish today. Spanish Armada, probably. Yeah, and there's, there's, there's quite a few on there. But let's, we'll save that because I can, I can see there's going to be some, some fascinating shows on our new station. There are going to be. And I really look forward to listening to that. I love learning um, about history. I think it's really important. It's something that I think probably... And I know that if there's any, anybody involved in education, they might um, not like this comment, but I think <laughs> probably in schools now we don't put enough no, emphasis don't. on yeah. history. But fear not, Aspen Weight Radio will be born and that's where uh, you'll learn a lot more. Right, if you've got any thoughts on to the uh, podcast today, do uh, send us an email. It's podcast at aspen-weight.co.uk. Uh, let us know your thoughts on today's podcast or any of the others. If you're slightly behind, you can listen to them as a series. And of course, um, more uh, on the way. Right, today's song that you're about to choose, we've been doing this recently and we're going to do it again. <laughs> I want you to imagine today that you are at the EU summit. <laughs> and there is a there is a there is a, a small break um, in proceedings while people are getting some tea and biscuits and, and water, and what they've done is they've allowed you to come up as a as a as a newborn radio DJ <laughs> and choose your song that you're going to play whilst they have their tea and biscuits at the EU summit. Indeed, now it's interesting this because um, I've been sitting there all week thinking about um, 
So one of the things we could have talked about today, but we've, we've probably gone over over time anyway, is what what is the definitive British song of all time? I thought that would be a, a really... So yeah, it would have if, been. If anyone's lis- listening who would like to contribute, we, Ben and I would love to hear your suggestions as to what the definitive British song... It was interesting, I asked Julie Kingham, and I was quite surprised because she's a bit of a rocker, you know, she likes, you know, people like um, heavy metal stuff, for instance, and she actually said, God save the Queen. Uh, and I, I, I thought it was an interesting suggestion, but I thought it was far too anarchistic, anarchistic, full of anarchy, to be a song that could do it. So... Instead of just of coming up with a very difficult choice of what I thought was the definitive British song of all time, I thought about a song which embodied how I feel today, or how the country should feel today, and it may well be the song that I choose on my first radio show as well. Do Anything You Want To Do by Eddie and the Hot Rods. So I think, you know, my view on the future is we now can do anything we want to do, and if we don't do that, we would have failed. So I think, you know, we're going to break out of the EU, we're going to leave them behind. We're going to search for adventure. It's the type of life we're going to find. Tired of giving them our money, with no thanks for when we do. I made that up. But uh, the whole whole message, I I find the Eddie and the Hot Rod song, I always have, even when it first came out, I find it incredibly, it's one of my anthems, actually. Do anything you want to do. So that's what I've chosen for our song today. Do anything you want to do by Eddie and the Hot Rods, really uplifting song, full of hope. Okay, let's just uh, let's just play out with the, the the scenario. We're in the EU summit. Order, order. <laughs> the tea and biscuits will be. Will you realise it's an Irish lady that that does that, don't you? Just before you uh, is it? Yeah. The tea and biscuits will now be served. <laughs> we'll get the tea and biscuits in here, and then we'll carry Take your on. Flags with you. That's and now says. I'm going to pass you over to Paul Wade, who's going to play a song for us. Yes, EU people, happy bon voyage, au revoir, and we're going to do anything we want to do. So take that. But it's actually by the Hot Rods. <laughs> Just too funny for my own good. <laughs> <laughs> 